Welcome to the Safe Haven Podcast. I'm your host, Amanda. The Safe Haven Podcast is a space for you to be real, raw, emotional, vulnerable, hilarious, or completely carefree. This podcast offers a space for stories to be shared about the lights and darks, highs and lows of life in a judgment-free zone. Join me and my powerful guests as we dive into a variety of conversations and topics. Listen from where you are, as you are. Think, laugh, and cry along with us, whether you're in your car, in the kitchen, chasing your kids, running your business, caregiving for someone that you love, getting a mani-pedi, maybe while you're in the hospital, a treatment center, sitting on the deck, on the dock, or out for a run. These weekly stories and messages will hit you right in the heart space, fill up your cup, and recharge your spirits. Joining me today is my friend, Stacy McLean, and Stacy is here to share her journey over the last 10 years as a T1 mom. Thank you so much for being here with me today. No problem. I'm so excited. Yeah, I'm very happy that you're here. I was, you were one of the first people on that list. Oh, as soon as awesome. I kind of came up with my list, I thought, you know what? People need to hear your journey. They need to hear your story. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, of course. That's definitely. Super stoked. <laughs> so I think as we get into this, I'd really like to start with the diagnosis story for your son, Parker. For sure. So Parker had just turned two years old on August 2nd, and it was uh, the week, the first week of September. I remember, you know, it was the end of summer. It was really hot that period. And we actually even went to the Kinmount Fair and he just wasn't feeling all that great. He had been really sick just a couple weeks before that, almost a month before with just like a virus. And so we just kind of thought he's still just trying to get better and just not still, you know, just kind of in the tail end of that. And he started to drink a lot of water. Like, so imagine, you know, he's only 25 months. He's still in diapers and just this little pudgy, big cheeked little, you know, blonde mm -hmm. little boy. And he would be constantly like mama water, mama juice, mama milk, you know, and that's what he used to say. And so I would give him a full sippy cup and he would chug it. Mm -hmm. And then that weekend was the long weekend and was the Kinmount Fair and we went and he had ice cream and he had all these things. Mm -hmm. And of course he was sick to his stomach and we just thought, well, maybe it's just part of that flu again. And, but that week was just, you know, constant drinking and we had just switched him to his big boy bed. So I thought maybe, um, it was a ploy at night because at that age they're learning to, to push the limits. Right. And, you know, he was constantly getting up and just, you know, wanting water. And I thought, okay, this is a little odd. But again, I thought it was just a ploy tactic for him to try to get us our attention in his big boy bed. And so, of course, you know, excessive thirst, I Googled it. And when you Google excessive thirst, you're going to see diabetes. So, it was getting really bad. And then we thought I was talking to his daycare provider and she's like, yeah, you know, I Googled it cause I'm noticing cause we were trying to do potty training at the same time. Mm -hmm. And which is impossible. Like he was soaking diapers, like the diapers were hanging off him cause he was drinking so much water. Right. And she's like, I Googled it. And it just seems to me that it would be diabetes. So, um, it was the end of the week and it had gotten really bad. And my, um, husband at the time, we were now separated. Um, he took him to the doctors cause I had to work. And on the Friday, it was a Friday. And so I definitely couldn't get off work that day cause I had to answer the phones with my old job. And he took him to the hospital or to the clinic and brought him to the clinic and they didn't have any way to test him. They were going to attach a cup to him and then test his urine. 
And at the time, there was a lady that was working there and said, well, I have a meter because her husband was diabetic. And so they tested him and he was 21.8. So for people that don't know anything about diabetes, your normal blood sugar is usually, I think, around you know, four and a bit to seven is normal. And so 21.8 was a telltale sign that he had type one diabetes. So the doctor called me at work and told me that I had to leave work and I Mm -hmm. had to come home or come to the hospital or to the clinic. You know, she was going to discuss a little bit about things, what was going to happen and that we had to make our way down to Peterborough and they were waiting for us. And she told us, she said, go home and pack, have some lunch and then make your way to to Peterborough. And we went home and I'm like, I knew enough about diabetes because a coworker of my husband at the time also had a daughter who had been diagnosed the year before. And so I knew enough that food had something to do with it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're trying not to go in the dark zone of your mind. You're trying not to, you're just trying to wrap your head around everything. And so I had to feed him lunch. I didn't know what to feed him. And I didn't know what was this going to do. I didn't want to do the wrong thing. What if I'm feeding him the wrong, you know, the Mm -hmm. wrong thing and it's going to skyrocket him or make him go low. I knew nothing. Right. So I remember on the way down, um, he fell asleep and I'm just panicking because I'm like, is this wrong? Is this bad? Like, you know, what's going to happen? So anyway, we made it to Peterborough and I'll never forget that first needle that they gave him, you know, the first of so many, I, I used to calculate it and know, but I've lost track. So, mm-hmm. um, the first of many, and then they put us up into our room and in Peterborough, there's the diabetic, uh, clinic, the pediatric diabetes clinic, and they are amazing. There was a doctor, a nurse, a dietitian, and a social worker. And right off the bat, you meet with the social worker. And, um, like we spoke earlier, I, I didn't have time for that. Yeah. I was like, I'm science person. I need the stats. I need the information. I need what to know. I don't have time to deal with the emotional side of things. I need to learn this because we have to go home soon and I have to make all these decisions and learn everything about everything I need to do. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, and they didn't know, they didn't know how much insulin would affect them. They didn't know anything either. Like they're all learning at that time to go with Parker and Sorry, I don't even know if I said his name. So Parker is my son. So um, they, they're they just giving him insulin and then monitoring and monitoring and monitoring. And I was really impressed with them. Like he was only 25 months and he, you know, he cried a little bit when he got his needle, his fingers poked. Um, and that first night was horrible. We didn't get any sleep. We were sleeping on this little pullout cot at the Peterborough Hospital. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and you learned, you, they learned everything that we needed to do that day. You know, the dietitian came cause the nurse was gone. She was at a conference. So the dietitian taught us everything. And right off the bat, she's told me, you know, um, asked me, how do we want to do things? Did we want a carb count or did we want to use a sliding scale? And I said to her, you know, what's the best way? What's the best thing to do? And she says, well, just to get tighter sugars, um, it's carb counting. I said, okay, so that's what we're going to do. And so we learned what we need to do, how to read labels. I mean, I'd had, taken nutrition in university. So I had the basic understanding of how to uh, read labels, but what specifically to read. So carbohydrates, and then, you know, you take the fiber away and cause sugars is more than just sugar. It's mm-hmm. the actual carbohydrates. And we, I remember sitting there practicing on a couch, how to give needles. Mm-hmm. And every time I poke the couch, I can, th- all I can think of was, am I really going to poke him somewhere? <laughs> and I had such a fear for some bizarre reason of poking his stomach. I think I just 
that was just too much for me. I couldn't do it. So we never poked him in the stomach, even though he had the most chubbiest little stomach. Mm -hmm. Um, So we did his bum or we did his arms or we did his legs. And then they were comfortable and they said, okay, now you can go home. And And then all of a sudden you go home. It's a new normal. Yeah. And what do we do? So I knew that if I jumped on the internet, Mm -hmm. I would go down the really dark areas of the internet. I did not want to do that. I didn't Mm -hmm. have time for that. I didn't have the time to learn about all the consequences of my bad decisions. I didn't have time to learn that. I just knew that he was a toddler who was pretty picky, like most toddlers. And I pulled out every single recipe book I had. I grabbed a bunch of uh, recipe cards and I wrote down all the recipes that I knew he would like. And I, they'd given us this little booklet because back then there wasn't apps like this was mm-hmm. in 2009. So there wasn't, I didn't even have a cell phone at this point. So, um, there was no apps. There was none of that stuff. You could have went online and found information, but I didn't want to go online because I knew I didn't have that self-control to not Google things that I shouldn't be Googling. Yeah. And I wrote down all the recipes, figured out the carbs so that at least I had some, you know, little bit of relief that when I went to go eat or make his meals, I knew what the carbs were going to be. I didn't have to calculate it then. It was already done. And we went from there and you just, that was 10 years ago. This yeah. I can't believe how fast that would have gone. I, no, I, I still shake my head. I mean, yeah, I get reminded every day when he gives me a hug and he's almost as tall as me. So I know mm-hmm. time has gone by, yeah. you know, as a parent, you just, where'd your baby go? Definitely. And, um, but yeah, so it's interesting because when I came back, you know, I had to learn what type one diabetes was, mm-hmm. you know? And then of course, so I went, um, that weekend, his, um, daycare provider came cause she wanted to learn more about it mm-hmm. and I didn't really know much. So, you know, trying to teach somebody that you don't have an idea. So, um, I went back to work on Monday and that was a scary thing to mm-hmm. drop your child off. Um, you know, at daycare and to go from there. And I got asked so many questions like, you know, cause I think with, there's such a misconception of the difference mm-hmm. between type one and type two. Yeah. And you know, so the difference basically is that type one is, uh, formally referred to as juvenile diabetes. So that right there causes a misconception, which, you know, we can talk about another time, but, um, is that it's an autoimmune disease. So what happened was, is that something happened in his system. His system knew that it had to attack. And unfortunately it just attacked the area of his pancreas that produces insulin. Um, whereas type two, which is what everybody thinks type one is, because that's, what's more prevalent. You look at, you know, you go to the grocery store, you see anything in the, all the magazines talk about diabetes because it's such a big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, why everybody doesn't know the difference. It's just that people with type two, they still produce insulin, but not enough. Mm-hmm. So some people with type two diabetes can control it with diet. Some type two um, people have to have medication and some people do become insulin dependent on type two. So, um, so yeah, so that's the difference pretty much there. So I had to learn that as well so that I became armed with knowledge. Absolutely. What were, um, what are, or have been some of the most common misconceptions with T1? Well, the biggest one, I think, and I don't, I mean, I think I was probably in the same boat when um, my then husband's coworker's daughter, I probably said, wow, maybe she fed him, fed her too much sugar, right? Mm. So that is a huge misconception. Like people think that he just ate way too much sugar, which if anybody 
knows me. I was pretty strict with stuff. You know, he was Mm -hmm. two. Mm -hmm. What kind of sugar is he eating? You know, he wasn't Mm -hmm. drinking juice boxes. He wasn't having, you know, any of that. So to me, it always blew my mind that Mm -hmm. that is a, you know, a huge misconception that Mm -hmm. you just eat too much sugar and your body then develops type one diabetes. Right. But I get it, right? Type two diabetes, if you don't eat healthy, you can develop type two diabetes. So it's just your body with type two, that difference is that you know, your body can't control the amount of, or cover the amount of sugar that you're eating. So that's why you become type two diabetic. Mm -hmm. But so that's a huge misconception. Um, the other one is that, like I said earlier, it used to be called juvenile diabetes. So everybody always asked me, you know, Oh, is he going to outgrow this? Mm -hmm. Nope. (laughs) You know, it's it's not. And the reason why they used to call it juvenile diabetes is because honestly, kids never lived past being a juvenile. So that's why they called it juvenile diabetes. So because they never survived past, you know, their teenage years because they couldn't do it. Because back in the day, they didn't have ways in the technology that we have now. So unfortunately, a lot of kids died. So um, that is a huge one. Maybe one of my misconceptions of it was then too, because even when with juvenile diabetes was I was always under the impression that it was because of that's when they were diagnosed. diagnosed. And that's another thing. So, um, and I think that's another reason why they decided to change it because so many adults, yes. as you know, yes. um, get diagnosed uh-huh. and honestly, it's just, it's an autoimmune response when it happens, how it happens. Nobody knows it's a trigger and something happens in your body and it triggers it to have diabetes. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel, I always, my heart breaks for parents and for the kids that are older. I mean, not saying that, you know, there's no negatives going like the negative things that happen with Parker because he was two when he was diagnosed. So he doesn't know a lifetime before that. He doesn't know Halloween without diabetes. He doesn't know going to birthday parties. He does know he's different. Mm -hmm. And I think that weighs just as much on him as, Mm -hmm. you know, a newly diagnosed 11 year old. But unfortunately I think it's harder for them because as an adult or as an 11 or 10 or whatever, as a child, because they used to be able to do whatever they wanted to before Mm -hmm. they could go down to the corner store and have a pack of gummies if they wanted to without never any consequence. They didn't have to worry about testing their shakers Mm -hmm. or stopping whatever they're doing. If they're playing, you know, a game or out running around Mm -hmm. and they don't have to stop doing what they're doing to come and test their sugars, you know, and that I know my son gets very irritated with when he has to stop doing what he's doing to test. Mm -hmm. And he's actually gone really low because he didn't want to stop doing what he was doing Mm -hmm. because he thought he can push it a little bit further. So it's, yeah, that's definitely the, I'm glad that they got rid of the juvenile diabetes term. Um, and even like JDRF, which is the juvenile diabetes research foundation, they used to be called that now it's just JDRF, right? So it's to try, I think to try to get away from that juvenile conception, mm-hmm. um, another big one and is, um, and I, I mean, I know everybody does it in, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like with good intentions, you know, they'll buy Parker diabetic candy Mm -hmm. or they'll, you know, I bought him this special stuff, you know, that's like just for people with diabetes and, or they'll say to him, he can't eat that candy. Mm -hmm. And the funniest little, and this is something that other parents, you know, kids with diabetes will get is that, well, as long as it's not poison, you know, they can eat it. (laughs) And, you know, and I've said that to somebody once and they kind of looked at me like, and I, kind of knew I've crossed the yeah. line a little too much, but yeah. I mean, they can eat everything that everyone they, else can, everything exactly. that anybody else can. Yep. And they can have the cupcakes that, yep. you know, the kids brought to school. They can have the cake at the birthday party. Yeah. They can have 
everything and anything. It's just that we have to cover the insulin for it. So just like our own bodies, that when we go crazy and we binge on that cake that we really like and have maybe a couple more pieces than we want, our body will produce the insulin to cover it. Well, instead of our bodies producing the insulin, we just have to give Parker the insulin. Mm -hmm. So, Yeah, definitely. So this as well too, and and you'd even mentioned that Parker is so you know, so savvy with, with oh, T1 and, yeah. and that you guys can both now, you know, use your knowledge to educate others mm-hmm. about the difference and about what the lifestyle is and the challenges of this. For sure. That was probably another thing that's kind of helped me in my sanity is that I decided um, pretty early on is that we weren't going to be a family that was just going to dwell in this, you know, diagnosis and and just go down those dark holes that we were going to then try to educate because also too, I think education is so huge because I know as a parent, how I felt when they, people would say those misconceptions, you know, you fed your child too much sugar. And, um, I know how I feel with that. So I could imagine with the kids and with adults that have diabetes, Mm -hmm. it gets kind of irritating to have to repeat the same thing over again. So, um, I think with us, education is huge. Um, and with empowering Parker, because I think with Parker being knowledgeable of everything and being more like an ambassador of it, um, will give him power to make better choices that will be when he's older and so that he can teach people other things as well. And I think too, like I, to me, so many kids get misdiagnosed. So many kids get really close to very scary, scary, you know, possibilities and because they're not being diagnosed. And that's because parents don't know the signs and the symptoms, you know, like excessive thirst is just one of the symptoms. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we talked about it that they're um, flu like symptoms. Flu like it's all flu like yeah. symptoms. And or in girls, you know, they'll have so their sugars are getting so bad that they're even getting yeast infections. Mm-hmm. So then they'll just say, Oh, it's just a yeast infection or um you know, and every kid experiences different symptoms. So it's like a... The eyes, eyes, yes, dehydrating eyes and lack for of focus. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And, oh, lack of focus is huge, yep. huge. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, especially as Parker's getting older, that's yeah. something that we really can communicate with teachers because mm-hmm. teachers need to know that if he's jittery and unfocused, mm-hmm. chances are his sugars, there's something mm-hmm. wrong with his sugars. Absolutely. So it's, yeah. um, education is huge. Um, you know, not only educating other parents who might have, you know, symptoms to look out for, but teachers and Mm -hmm. people who are taking care of Parker. So again, like, you know, even a lot of teachers, I've heard stories of, um, you know, there was a no cell phone policy at the school back in the day, I guess. And this teen had a, his pump in his pocket and the teacher thought it was a cell phone and went and grabbed it and ripped it off of him. Well, so stuff like that, that once people are empowered and learning more of, just everything because there's, you know, the, I don't know the stats, but I know that there's a lot more kids being diagnosed all the time. I know in Halliburton, um, for the longest time when Parker was at, um, his little school, he was the only one at that little school. And now they're, you know, in his last year, there was four, three other kids that were diagnosed. So, Mm -hmm. and when we go to the clinic, they always say like, I don't know what's in the water in Halliburton County, but there's a lot more kids that are getting diagnosed. So, um, it's happening more and more and more. And I think if we can catch it earlier before mm-hmm. it gets pretty scary, because there is complications when you don't get insulin. Right. So yeah. it's, and there have been children that have died because they don't get diagnosed. They get brain damage because they've gone into seizures because their sugars are so high. And then after a while, you know, it, it gets so bad and 
they have passed. So it's, yeah, education is huge. And just for Parker too. Like, and I don't want him to be in his mind labeling himself as diabetic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's a kid yep. and you know, he's Parker and he's creative and he's smart and he's sassy and he's witty and yeah, he has type one diabetes, but it, you know, that's another thing that I really don't want him to label himself. Mm-hmm. Well, that education thing is going to be huge. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you said, even just his confidence with it and his knowledge already, right. And being able to explain this condition mm-hmm. and explain what he has to do to, to live this mm-hmm. way and that he is no different no, from them besides no. he's got a manual, like that's right. automatic versus yeah, manual. He's got a manual right. pancreas, that's right. right? And he's sitting on his, in his little fanny pouch, yeah. you know? Exactly. Um, that's right. And another thing too is for me from day one, I don't know. I just, teenage years have been my like scariest, um, fears. I mean, it is as an, any parent, <laughs> right. you know, that they're going to go out and do things, but that they're going to make good choices. But, um, you know, is he going to have friends that know what happens? And, you know, all those things, the teenage years are going to be just, I'm getting in them and I'm, <laughs> you know, so to me to have power, Parker empowered and informed on what happens and knowledgeable mm-hmm. is huge because then he will be better equipped to make the better decisions. I also think that just back to the education component, I think that that feeds in really well with teamwork. Oh, for sure. And right. So even the, the educational team that is available to help, you know, T1 students at school, Mm -hmm. but then also within the community, right? And so then that education spins and so that kids in the community or just not just the classroom, that everybody's knowing, you know, maybe what a high, super, super high looks like, or what a really low, low looks like. And, um, and And you know what to be and what to do. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, can you speak even just a little bit more as to teamwork and the importance of teamwork oh, and, you know, sure. different members of mm-hmm. a T1 team? Yeah. Well, it's exactly what it is. Yeah. You have to have a team. And I'm somebody who's very, I love control and I, you know, mm-hmm. so to have relinquishing control into a team has been huge because I have to trust these, you know, trust everyone. And, but working with this team, I've been so fortunate, like not only with, you know, my ex-husband and his partner, um, but also with the daycare provider that we Mm. had like she was instrumental because I had to go every single day to her house you know to do needles and and she was so good and she took on so much and you know I'm so grateful for that because they don't have to do it she didn't charge me more yeah you know and and she took on a lot and anybody who did and then when he went to um school you know that was a scary (laughs) a scary scary um time and I'm so grateful for the principal and you know she um you know reassured me that everything was going to be fine because in Ontario there is no policy well there is policies but the policies are ridiculous Mm -hmm. and um like there's a better policy you are better you're more safe you know in the schools if you have a peanut allergy you know it's getting better and you have to rely and communicate with your team the administration and I'm so excited like so grateful for the administration at the little school that he went to um you know the principal she made sure that the teacher and that the EAs because I could have decided to do a nurse um but I decided not to because I didn't want to put all the responsibility on a nurse that only showed up for an hour right I wanted the school to be more responsible and I'm grateful that they took on that Mm -hmm. and 
like I cried when he graduated grade three, you know, it was went to another school. Oh, I went to another school. Yeah. Like I begged for the, you know, the, the EA who is like, she was the coordinator of all the EAs and she was like, I cried because I'm like, please come to JDH, yeah. you know, please come to the next school, please, yeah. please, please. But I was so fortunate because the principal had already moved to the next school. Yes. So he's had the same principal since like day one. And, um, I am so grateful for that. Um, and then not only that, like the pediatric diabetes, um, clinic, but another thing, and I know we're going to talk about this at some point is also the other parents, mm -hmm. you know, I'm so grateful that eventually, you know, cause when, you know, in 2009, Facebook wasn't huge, like, you know, not everybody was on Facebook and there wasn't groups and all that kind of stuff. I think I found my first group, um, two years later and I've met so many wonderful friends through that. Mm -hmm. Um, I've met other friends, especially in November when it's the national diabetes month. Um, every, you know, parent will change their profile picture and, so you kind of see it and I will connect with other people that way, you know, mm -hmm. just because, and this is what this whole podcast is about is finding other parents and other Networking. people and other, you know, other people to connect with. And yes. you need that support. It's just as much as everybody tries, you know, and to understand what we go through on a day to day basis. Um, I think you need somebody that's in the trenches and understanding it to really get what you go through. So when I say I'm tired in the morning, they know, you know, Oh, and about even just about the the policies that you were mentioning that mm. the more parents that band together and advocate for these updates yeah, for sure and for the the, the support yeah. and well, that's what's going to be the change. i think so for sure there's a huge um organization it's called sos i think it's i don't know what it stands for um our schools students for our schools or support for our schools is what it stands for okay. and um they're trying really hard to change policies in the school boards because mm -hmm. every school board has their own policy. And um, like, for instance, glucagon, that is uh, the EpiPen for anybody who has diabetes. So there is no school boards in Ontario, no teacher, no anybody can administer glucagon at school. So if your child is unconscious because their sugars have gone scary low and that they go unconscious, they have to wait until the ambulance comes to then hand over their glucagon and say, here's the mm -hmm. glucagon. They cannot give them any glucagon and save their life. But they can give insulin. But they can give insulin. Which can kill them. Which can kill them. Yes. Yes. So, so it's it's very, and there's some school boards, like um, this school board in particular, uh, wouldn't test him, right? That's their policy, no, no testing. But thank heavens for the administrator who decided that she was going to say no it's you know, a life it's my you know and it's that's a four-year-old who just turned four yeah. who has you know like he was really good at you know coloring and doing things that are really like he was really good coordination but he couldn't test his sugars mm -hmm. didn't want to test his sugars no. he's got you know to do. he's got things to do that's right he needed somebody to remind him and to tell him and to do it you yeah. know so it yeah, no, I, I have to say I'm super grateful for um, the support that we've received. Mm -hmm. You know, I think once people realize the severity of in a, of diabetes and what can happen and where the scary lows are, um, you know, it's scary to go low and it's scary to go high. Mm -hmm. You know, there's there's long-term complications when you go high and there it could be immediate as well. And then there's immediate consequences when they go low. So it's, it's um, yeah, it's definitely a team effort. Yeah. Yeah, teamwork and banding together. Mm -hmm. yeah, definitely. And I do believe that with more and more parents and more and more um, support from other parents that, you know, even if they don't have um, diabetes in their life, 
there will be change eventually. Mm-hmm. Like they have to keep keep you doing what you're doing yeah, the advocacy exactly. and for sure educating others yeah, because I mean they never had an EpiPen you know uh, policy until parents got together. Yeah, you know, so it's just it's getting there. It will. It, it will, will get there. Yep. So when it comes to advice. Mm-hmm. What have been the two best pieces of advice that you've ever received when it comes to being a T1 mom? Yeah. I'm going to say the best advice that I ever got was the first day when um, the dietitian came and met us at the hospital. And, you know, because he was only two and she probably saw that glossy eyed look Mm -hmm. I had, like every parent probably, she said to me two things. First thing is that Parker is a child first, then he has diabetes. So she says, it's totally up to you. She says, you can totally avoid all sweets. You can limit all that stuff. She says, but in our, in our, you know, experience, the kids are just going to, um, revolt or they're going to rebel and then they're going to sneak in things and, you know, sneak at night or sneak during the day when you're not watching. Mm -hmm. I didn't want that. I mean, to me, like I said, I like control, so I'd rather give it to them and then, instead of having him going and sneaking it. I just didn't want that. And plus I didn't want him to have any issues with food. Like I didn't want him to look at food as a, as like a a thing he could or couldn't have. I just, I mean, obviously I have to teach him moderation, but we have to do that as a parent anyway, Mm -hmm. you know, and sometimes you got to let the kid get sick if they're going to eat way too much candy. Right. So unfortunately, sometimes I'm really lucky that Parker is a rule follower and a rule enforcer. So you pretty much tell him a rule and he will, He's done it right from day one. Don't touch that on the, you know, when he's walking around the table, don't touch it. He won't touch it. So I'm really lucky that way. Um, So that was probably the best piece of advice. So I don't do the, you know, diabetic candy and all that yucky stuff. I just, I do treat him like normal. Um, And then the second piece of advice, which has been probably the best for me, was that it's an art and a science the science, no problem. I, I can control the science. I like the science. I know how much insulin he needs to cover how much food. I know, you know, in a perfect world, that would work. I know that um, how much insulin brings him down if I have to correct him. I know how to carb count. I know that stuff. But the art part, even though I love art, I love creating, I don't like that as a control thing because you can't control art. So you can't control when he's going to get sick and what's going to happen because then when he's sick, nothing works the same. Um, you can't control if he's stressed out. You can't control if he's excited. Mm-hmm. You can't control um, if he's growing. Yeah, there's so many different influences. There's so many influences. And it's that fine balance. It just I always in my head, always envision, you know, like the, the scale. And because you need the right amount of insulin to cover the right amount of food. But so many factors affect that. You know, was he running around? Did he feed the dog his snack? Did he, because he did that once, um, you know, so all these little factors that you, you can't control. Mm -hmm. And that has been probably the toughest thing for me because you can't, there's sometimes there's just no rhyme or reason. You've done everything right. Sometimes it's the pump. Sometimes because he's on an insulin pump now, maybe there's a blockage in the tubing. Maybe, and you're doing everything right and you're pulling your hair out because you don't understand why he's still high or why, mm-hmm. you know. So it's, yeah, the art and the science, something that always stays there, that there's just some things that I just can't control, mm-hmm. which has been a tough lesson for me, but it's been a great lesson. So, yeah. What have been some other challenges as a mom? Well, it's just, you know, it's the packing, the always mm-hmm. planning ahead, always being on guard. This disease does not take a break. It does not take a holiday. It's 
24 hours a day, seven days a week. So it doesn't care if you go to Disneyland. It doesn't care if you're going, you know, sitting on a beach. It doesn't care. It doesn't, it just doesn't care. So you always have juice boxes handy. You always have them. And if you don't, it's panic city. Um, you know, you always have all this stuff that you always have to carry. You have strips, you have, you know, extra batteries for the meter. You have an extra meter just in case the the meter goes clunky. You have batteries for the pump. You have insulin, you have extra insulin. You have, even though he's on a pump, we still have the old needle pens in case the pump goes wonky and we don't get the new one in time. Um, you have like, he's got this blue bag that we bought pretty much within the first week of diagnosis and it's this um and i love it because it came from algonquin outfitters and it's um the good life it says on it oh yeah and that's his kit and it's horrendous i've washed it i've javexed it it's like you can tell it's been around and it's been around for 10 years and it's lasted and it's this kit and you have to go everywhere with that Mm -hmm. and even parker has um you know now it's like part of his morning routine he's got to make sure because he carries a little um over the shoulder bag because he's got to carry everything with him Mm -hmm. so you know we don't carry he doesn't carry every single thing with him because we're in a small town so it's no big deal to you know run to the school with his stuff but you know, so always being prepared, yeah. you know, especially when you go on a trip, oh, like, gosh, yeah. you know, my parents used to live, well, they live seven hours away. So, and you're going up North. So there's not always a Tim Hortons or a drive through that you can just stop by and get something. You always have to plan ahead. You always have to just be aware of everything that's going on. And sometimes, you know, you got to guess and that's tough, you know, like that's a big, a big thing that I you put a lot of stress on because you know how to carb count. I mean, after 10 years, you get pretty good at guessing Mm -hmm. things, but you have to, um, sometimes you just have to let go. And that's been one lesson that has been huge and very hard. Well, having (laughs) even, you know, just for the listeners, um, in my last relationship, Brett with, uh, we were together for about two, two and a half years. And, uh, only really in, in the length of his life, it's a very recent mm-hmm. diagnosis. You know, he's For 37 sure. and he was diagnosed at 31. So he's still very much learning. What does life as a T1 feel like, look like, taste like exactly with food, everything. Right. And that was, that was also very much a concern of his was, you know, going out mm-hmm. and, and sure you're seeing some things on the menu, but you don't know just how many different ingredients are in there or so it's always been like that's where the guessing game oh it's you become a very good guesser but it's hard um but then you don't know how it's going to react with your body right that's right and then half the time when you're out at a restaurant you're away so you're like two or three hours away and then you know it's like okay well this is going to kick in probably on the ride home Mm -hmm. so then you're panicking the whole ride home did i over bolus did i like did i give him too much insulin did i Mm -hmm. underestimate how many carbs there is did i overestimate yeah and you it's constantly, your mind is just racing. So then you'll ask, you'll sit down. Like I remember going to a restaurant once and I asked, and it's a big chain and they're supposed to have nutritional values, which is another thing that drives me nuts now with these new regulations that yeah. they put the calories on everything. They yeah. think that's all people need to know. I don't care about the calories. Like, Give me the carbs. Cause I'm like, can I have the nutritional guide? Well, the calories are, I don't need the calories. I need the nutritional guide. I'm asking you for a reason. Try and be polite. Give me the... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Give me the freaking guide. And a lot of places don't have it or it's totally off. Like you look and it's like, you go to Boston pizza and it's like, Oh, one slice of pizza is like 80 grams of carbs. And you're like, there's no way, like, there's no way, you know? So you become really good at guessing and mm-hmm. you become really aware that there's a lot of things that need to change. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, even there's apps now and all that stuff. But even that, it's 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 a guessing game, mm-hmm. you know. And also knowing your own sensitivities. Oh, I mean, for sure. You know, like yeah. um, Parker pizza is like a horrible thing. So pizza and ice cream, worst combo in the world. You know, like guaranteed, no matter how much insulin you give him, even if you overcorrect or even if you do all these fun things that you can do with his pump, he's still going to skyrocket five mm-hmm. hours later. Yeah. So you and that's just, the thing too is that depending on the food, it might spike quickly it might yep. wait a little while That's before right. it's fine oh for so. sure so it's it's also too like when you're meal planning like when i per- pack parker's lunch poor kid he pretty much gets the exact same lunch for the last 10 years of his mm-hmm. life but um he like you have to balance things because a carb reacts so much differently when you pair it with a good fire with yes. a good protein or mm-hmm. you know if it's got like a fat so you know if he just had this thing on its own like this product whatever you're giving him on his own it might totally react differently but if you pair it with two other things like Mm -hmm. a high fat or a high protein it reacts totally different as well Mm -hmm. so that's where that whole art thing comes in and no matter what you do it's just it's a crapshoot but as somebody who likes control you know there's certain things that um like our first trip to disney was just a disaster i was a mess for the first two days because i thought it's disney they hold the children's conference of the states and I thought for sure they would have carbs on everything. No, they have carbs on nothing. The only thing they have carbs, they, like you can't ask for the nutri- nutritional guides. They don't have them. So, and they do that on purpose because they don't want to take that responsibility of putting a carb. And I said, well, then, then I have to guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was really stressed out. That trip was, to me at that time, Disney was not the happiest place on earth. Oh, well, how <laughs> old was Parker at the he time? He was, too? I think, seven. Okay. So, you know, you're there and there is stuff everywhere like there's these huge like food that is like beyond what a normal kid should be eating like it's <laughs> i'm sorry like it's like sugar overload but you know and you again the other best advice i got was he's a kid first but you still you get that panicky moment like oh my gosh that d- thing that he's gonna have has got 100 grams of sugar in it like mm-hmm. you can that's pretty much pure sugar like a kid his age should only have 13 grams in a day of added sugar. So that's always in my mind. And that's that control part of me that I've had to learn to say, you know what? Let him be a kid. He's at Disney. He's at mm-hmm. the happiest place in the world. Right. I'll make sure that we have that conversation that we're going to try to do it in moderation. So yes, you know, you can have this and you can have a couple other desserts, but you're not going to have 10, you know, yeah. so every day. <laughs> so it's, it's that balance has been, yeah, definitely something that I've had to learn. Yeah. Earlier, you mentioned, um, you know, what happens when a T1, well, not just a kid, mm-hmm. a T1 individual gets sick. Can you oh. elaborate on why that is such a challenge? Yeah, the sick part is definitely the, it's just, it's crummy. <laughs> it's really yeah. horrible because yep. you just don't know how they're going to react. So when Parker was three, he had strep throat really bad to the point that they took his tonsils out when he was four, which is a whole other ordeal as well. Um, and you know, he would throw up and at that age, like as an adult and as even Parker now, he understands that when he's low, he has to have sugar. He Mm -hmm. needs to bring his sugars up. But when he's three, he doesn't understand the consequences. He knows Mm -hmm. he feels crummy. He knows he needs to, you know, he needs juice, but he just threw up and he doesn't want Mm -hmm. to eat. And when he had the strep throat, he didn't have the sore throat, strep throat. He had the puking. So he would eat and throw up. And we thought he had the flu. So, you know, you wait, oh, he's feeling better. And then he'd eat again and he'd throw up. And it was just like this horrible ordeal to the point that I even had to pin him down once and rub um, icing in the tube on his gums to try to get his sugars up because he wouldn't 
he wouldn't drink, mm-hmm. nothing. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't take popsicles, mm-hmm. nothing. He didn't want any food because he so felt going so such a horrible. Risk. Oh, it's such yeah, an immediate time. risk. And you can't tell him, and you're trying to hold it together. You're trying not to lose it yourself because you're all scared mm-hmm. and trying to convince this toddler to drink, yeah. you know, and or eat or anything. And, yeah, so being sick can either go both ways. Um, he can be high. And, you know, because his body is fighting something and then it just goes on overload. It's just, it's a crapshoot. You just never know what's going to happen. And you usually know um, when he's getting sick because the sugars will get all lumpy. Mm-hmm. But again, but that could be because he's growing or that could be because he's stressed out or all it could be he's excited. Other or it factors, could be, yeah, exactly. So it's, yeah, it's, I think for a control freak like me or somebody who loves to be in control, it's been the best lesson for me because it's taken me out of that. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I still like to control a lot of things Mm. but with diabetes you you kind of have to let go of that but I think too you still have to be very diligent and you know we have been very um lucky you know it's a lot of work it is non-stop it's 24 hours a day you are constantly making decisions you're constantly you know adding things up you're constantly you know figuring everything out and it's doesn't matter if it's three o'clock in the morning and you're exhausted. It doesn't matter. Constantly doing math. You're constantly Constantly counting. Constantly. How much insulin is in my body? How much do I need? That's right. So yeah, I know like I'll test or look at him, test him at night and I couldn't get him down, couldn't get him down. So we correct, 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 correct. So now he's got all his insulin on board and, and he's going down fast. So then you're like, oh crap, right? You look at how much insulin, you know how much it's going to go down. So then you think, I got to give him a little bit of juice or should I wait another 20 minutes? Maybe I'll set my alarm for another 20 minutes and mm-hmm. I'll come and get up again and then see. So there are nights that it's just, and you're trying to make these decisions with no sleep. Yeah. So, and as I get older, it's getting harder. So it's, yeah, it's... Did you ever have issues with, um, depending on where you had actually administered the insulin, that it wouldn't take? Oh, as, for sure. Yeah, that's another issue Oh, too. for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, when Parker was on needles, because now he's on the pump, so it doesn't matter, but um, um, we used to try to rotate. So we would do his thighs, his bum and his arms because I mean, a four year old who had those chicken arms, you know, cause we mm-hmm. were doing his arms so much. Um, so you try to rotate and so they'd be like, Oh, try his leg. His legs were the worst, especially for his long-term insulin for his background insulin. It wouldn't work. So we couldn't do his thighs. So then again, then you're like, well, we can't do his arms. So we don't do his stomach because we just never did. And now we're kicking ourselves in the butt for not doing a stomach because he refuses to do anything in stomach. Um, so now we're restricted to his little butt cheeks and there's not much real estate there because he's just so mm-hmm. tiny. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, it's the only fatty spot in my, you know, he's very lean and very skinny. And, um, so his butt cheeks are the only little real estate that we get to do. And, you know, but it's, I always look at little kids, you know, every time I see a two-year-old, I think, oh my God, they're so cute. Look at the little pudgy cheeks. And then I look at their little fingers and I think, did I really poke them when they were that small? And then I look at, you know, did I really, you know, give them five needles a day? Did I really, like, how did I do that? Mm-hmm. And, you know, cause somebody asked me that, they said, how do you do it? I said, I have no choice. You have no choice. Well, I can never do that. Well, no, you have you're no keeping choice. Them alive. You're keeping them alive. That's so right. that's the alternative. Like you do it, you know, you muster up whatever you muster up and you do it. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why I love, I asked Parker when he was, um, six, he wanted to do a little video and you know, what diabetes meant to him. Mm-hmm. And he, I said to him, what would you say to somebody who was just diagnosed and they're scared? And he said, you know, yes, it's scary, but you just got to do what you got to do. And Aww. that's it. You yeah. know, you just got to do what you got to do. And, you know, I mean, my six-year-old has given me advice, right? So, yeah, yeah, it's, he's a smart little guy. I mean, I remember in grade 
senior kindergarten, he came home and he's like, mom, he says, you know, their gym teacher asked him talking about body, body parts. And I pointed to the pancreas and I said, that's the pancreas and the pancreas produces insulin, but in me, it doesn't produce insulin. And the gym teacher's jaw just went, uh. So, I mean, how many kids can card count at like five yeah. or six? And, you know, so it's, it's taught him well, I think it's, I hope it's going to make him stronger from it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we could always be the poor me, but I mean, to me, there's always kids out there that are in worse situations and I don't ever want to diminish with Parker when he's giving me a hard time to do sight change or if he's giving me a hard time, I let him rant and I let him vent and I let him do his thing. But then we also look at it and say, you know, kiddo, it could be worse. You could be going to the hospital and not coming back. You could be attached to an oxygen tank. You could be attached to a big, huge machine that doesn't come with you. You mm-hmm. know, you have to stop everything you're doing for hours and be attached to a machine. Um, you know, there's so many, not to say that what you have is not scary and that, you know, or exhausting or, exhausting yeah. or that it's not stressful or worrisome mm-hmm. for him because I, he's just, he's a very intuitive, sensitive little guy and he hates it when I'm up all night. So I always say, Oh, no big deal. I just couldn't sleep. Right. Cause he gets stressed out because I didn't get a good night's sleep and he worries. And I don't want that for him. Like he's got enough on his plate, but, um, you know, I hate to say it, but it's just, there's always worse there's always worse. Mm-hmm. So we've been lucky that this has been our challenge so far. And so are you still getting up hourly? Pretty, not hourly. There's nights that I only get up once. Um, I'm like I said, I, I think because of that fear of the, what could happen. Um, I don't trust things easily either. So I like to double check. That's the only way for me to get answers is mm-hmm. if I know the, the results. Um, but there are nights that I test him every hour, but there are nights that I only test him once. And there's nights that I might not test him because either way, I totally turned off my alarm. I usually set two alarms for every hour. If mm-hmm. I am up every hour, I set two alarms. One, and I put the phone as far away as I can because I have turned it off many, many times. Yeah. And I tell you, waking up in the morning and realizing that you slept through your alarm is the scariest feeling ever. Mm-hmm. You literally like bolt down the stairs or to his bedroom and, you know, just please, 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 you know, and you test yeah. and well, he's okay. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, yeah. Tell you, iPhones are nice now because you can have yeah, multiple alarms. The right. old days you didn't, I had two alarms and you had to reset them and then you'd set them wrong AM, PM. And yeah, yeah, no, I tell you technology is so much better. <laughs> can you tell that? Well, speaking of technology, actually that segues really well into, mm-hmm. um, you're very excited about oh, totally. Yeah, exactly. Something that has just been released in January. Would you like yes, to tell our listeners for about sure? That? So, um, I mean, so much has changed in 10 years. Like it's unbelievable. Uh, when Parker was diagnosed, I remember reading about the pumps and we wanted to be on a pump like right away. Um, because needles are needles. A lot of people do needles because you know, we've talked about pump breaks. Mm-hmm. Um, needles are a lot and it's a different type of treatment. You have to be a little bit more, um, you have to eat two hours after you have a needle. There's just so many more factors. Um, I had a watch when it was his needle and I told you, like I said, like I tossed that watch the day he went on the pump because I didn't have to worry about the two hours later. And, um, so then we transitioned to a pump and I really wanted at the time there was a a thing, an invention out there that was called the continuous glucose monitor, Mm -hmm. CGM for short. And the CGM tests, um, his sugars every five minutes. And it, um, at the 
time, it just talks to another device and it tells if it's going up or if your sugars are going down. A lot of people associate that with that, um, the commercial of that new pump or that new meter out there called the Libre that, mm-hmm. you know, you see the commercials, they just scan their beep, arm beep. <laughs> beep, and it yeah. tells you your sugars. Yeah. It's the same idea. Um, you know, but it is a separate sensor. Yeah. So you have another sensor and Parker, um, soon as he went on the pump, which way he was five years old. I swear he forgot everything about needles. He put it out of his mind. He, he still to this day, I hate to say it, but like I've used that as like, when it gives me a hard time doing sight change, I'm like, well then fine kiddo, we have to go back to needles, right? Like we have no choice. This is your choice, either sight change or needles. And then of course, okay, let's do sight change. So, um, but we've been wanting the CGM for a long time. And then, so Parker's currently on a animus pump, which went out of, they closed their doors uh, two years ago. And of course, it was two months or three months after we got his second pump. Because you get a new pump every five years um, for free here in Ontario, which is fantastic for kids. I don't know if they do for adults, so I don't know. Mm-hmm. But um, so it's, a, it's, it's still in warranty, but there's no support for it. So another company called Medtronic, which is the other type of pump. Um, there's two, there's a bunch of different pumps out there. There's a tubeless and a tube one. So this is, has a tube. And so the two companies were Medtronic and Animus. So Animus closed their doors and Medtronic um, has taken over anybody who was on Animus. And I've been putting it off, um, by, but by September, we have to switch to a new pump, meaning Medtronic. So I'm kind of glad I kind of, you know, waited because Mm -hmm. I didn't know that there was a new pump that was released in January. I just knew that there was this pump and that's what they've been recommending. So I met my, um, uh, Parker's dad and I and Parker went to Peterborough a couple weeks ago and met with the rep and I just expected him to, you know, try to sell us on this CGM and, you know, and Parker, I was trying to convince him to do it because that can change so much. And so the guy started to talk about how, you know, he showed us how normal pumps work for their, the background insulin, how we normally, what we do is we decide on how much background insulin the pump gives Parker at certain times. And that's all based on looking at history and data and blah, blah, blah. So it's a decision that we have to make as a parent and as a clinic. And we always adjust those basils, which was called your background insulin is called basils. And so he started talking about how this new pump, he's so excited about this new pump. It just got um, released in January and the successes have been unbelievable and people are raving about this new pump and I'm sitting there kind of, yeah, yeah, okay. Of course you're trying to sell, use this sales rep, right? Yes. And and he's like, so it's kind of, it's, um, what do you call it? Um, a partial closed loop. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, yeah, okay. Kind of nodding and listening and, but not really listening. And, um, he's like, yeah, so the pump will self adjust. And I kind of heard that. And I just, you know, Hmm. What's he talking about? Like, Hmm. And then he said, and most people who are on this automation, because that's what they call it, which to me just means no control. Mm -hmm. Right. So I was kind of closed off. As soon as I heard automation, I'm like, that's no control. I no, I've been, I need control on this pump. And he says that most people at night have been staying between 6.7 and 8.2 or whatever he told me. So it's this little, you know, window of this perfect blood um, sugar zone. And he says the pump self adjusts it. It knows if you're going down or up and it will self adjust. And I just kind of went, wait a minute, what? Yeah. (laughs) Did you just say that the pump self regulates the basils? He goes, yes. I said, you're guaranteeing this, that it does this. He says, well, he says, 
the pump keeps you in that zone. And if it's starting to see that it's going to be out of the control zone, it kicks out automation mode, sends alarms, and then you take over as you know, to do what you need to do. So if he's going too low, then it takes you out of um, automation, you treat, and then you flip it back in automation. And then it's kind of like he's protected in this area. And all, and this was like two days after we had a really bad night. So like, I mean, probably one of the worst nights I, I couldn't sleep in between the hours. So I was like mm-hmm. a mess and I getting older, I don't bounce back as fast. So <laughs> I was still like, maybe I'm hearing this wrong. And at the time, um, Parker's dad had just shown up cause he had gotten stuck in traffic and so I said, okay, let me just fill him in. And I said, you tell me if I got this right. Cause I, somebody who needs to repeat to really understand. And I told him, I said, the pump is going to self-regulate. And he kind of looked at me with that glare. Like, what did you just say? Yeah. And I said, uh-huh. And, and the guy said, yeah, that's exactly what it is. And Parker even perked up. Like mm-hmm. he, I think at this point, cause he's always been so scared of the CGM. All of a sudden saw all these possibilities of more freedom a little bit, you know, even though we have really good A1Cs, which is essentially his, um, report card of his blood sugars. That's why I kind of look at it yeah. is, you know, what everybody, his trends, his and, trends and, yeah. and it's his average blood sugar. Cause your blood, blood holds uh, three months worth of blood sugar. It's mm-hmm. kind of like a tree in the rings. It holds your average blood sugar for three months. So it, I always look at that as a report card mm-hmm. just because that's the kind of person I am. And, yeah. um, even though we have really good, um, A1Cs, we do struggle with a lot of time in between that. So what goes up and what goes down. So this technology, I'm hoping, I mean, I have to trust it, which is a, a, a we chuckled because my um, son's dad kind of chuckled at me and said, you know, yeah, okay, Stacy, you have to trust this pump. And, but that will come. And I know with, you know, I still probably will get up a couple times in the yeah, night to check on the pump and make sure that it's doing what it's doing. So yeah, so he goes on the 17th, we get him hooked up and then the pump's going to take two weeks to learn and collect data. And then we flip that button over to automation and it's I mean, going to be pos- great. I'm hoping it's I mean, going to be great. We're going on a family trip to Mexico in December and I, you know, to be able to feel more confident mm-hmm. that, you know, he can just glance at his meter, you know, a glance at his pump and he'll say what the sugars are. So, cause there's, it's a eco resort. So it's like crazy water slides and all this fun stuff. Yeah. So he doesn't have to stop what he's doing, go and test. He can just glance at his pump and see if he's in range. So, and then the other cool thing is that, especially cause we talked about guessing, if we guess wrong, the pump will correct it and adjust it. So I'm super stoked, like, especially because Parker going into teenage years and like the fear of him leaving the house, that's the next phase of mm-hmm. life that I'm like, you know, mm-hmm. huge, you know, anxiety yeah. about. Um, I know that the technology is going to be that much better yeah. when he gets to go. Cause I mean, this has changed in 10 years. Yeah. And like I said, I couldn't imagine, I grew up with a couple, um, kids in my class, um, not in my class, but in my school who had diabetes. And I couldn't imagine those poor parents, like the extra added stress, they would pee on a stick mm-hmm. and you know, to know what their sugars were. And it wasn't accurate cause that's from like hours before. Mm-hmm. So who knew what was really going on? And yeah, I mean, I'm so grateful that with technology and with research and that it's going in that proper direction. Mm-hmm. Like I really think, yeah, so I'm super excited. Yeah. What would be one piece of advice to any new T1 parent? I think, you know, when you're first diagnosed and I mean, I'm no expert. I mean, it's been 10 years, but it's constant learning and every kid is different. Um, every treatment is different. Some are on needles, some are on pumps, some are on different types of pumps. 
Um, I think one thing that I found is to finding a community of other parents Mm -hmm. because it is lonely being a type one parent because you have all this extra stress of regular parenting. You have all this extra stress and, and if you're somebody like me who holds on to a lot, like there is still that guilt that I did something wrong, right? That I, cause I have an autoimmune, autoimmunes run in my family. So there's still that sense of guilt. There's so many feelings that you have as a parent that you literally don't have time to deal with because you're too busy carb counting and dealing with this and mm-hmm. dealing with that, that you don't get to. And I know that I had reached out, I had made friends with somebody, another parent far away from here. And she was my saving grace. Like she, we would talk for hours on the phone, Mm -hmm. you know, and just about the challenges and because they get it. So I think if anything is, well, one, I mean, those two pieces of advice that I was given, I Mm -hmm. would definitely tell that to anybody. Um, And then just connecting. Connecting. Um, It's so important. Parker, when he was little here, didn't have anybody to connect with. And Mm -hmm. it was so important for him to meet other kids. Um, When he was in grade three, there was, like I said, there was three other little ones that were diagnosed that were all in JK and SK. Um, And he became a little ambassador and he met met with one of the boys who didn't want to test. He was Mm -hmm. scared to test. And so Parker showed him and even showed him his pump and said, you know, like it gets better. It gets, it, it doesn't get easier. You just get to accept it a you little bit more. more and you learn more. And it, you know, because the first little bit, I mean, I, it's called the honeymoon phase when kids are usually first diagnosed and mm-hmm. like Parker was really lucky. He didn't have to have insulin at night. So I'd have to test at night for the first six months. And, yeah. you know, so you're like, I don't know what the big deal is, you know, cause they're still producing a little bit of insulin. So it's not that big of a deal the first six months. I don't know what everybody's talking about. Right. And, but then it hits and then you're like, holy crap, you know, (laughs) and then to, yeah. So I think to reach out to other Mm -hmm. parents, find a group on Facebook, find a local group, ask your clinic. Um, cause every, no matter where you are in Ontario, anyway, I don't know about in Australia or, you know, abroad. Um, and I know in the United States, it's very challenging as well. Cause you know, healthcare, but, um, find other parents, you know, and, you know, especially in Ontario and in Canada, there's like D camps. That was huge for Parker. He went to diabetes camp. He took a couple years off, but he's wanting to go back again. So Mm -hmm. they connect and there's family camps there as well. So you Mm -hmm. get together with other families. I haven't done that yet. Um, but no, I know. Yeah, definitely connect with other people. And yes. I'm totally available if yes, anybody needs definitely. to connect. <laughs> I can put your, I can put your contact for sure, in here. For Absolutely. sure. No, I mean, like I said, I'm no expert, but I can listen to, I've pretty much been in a lot of situations. We've never been in DKA, which is probably one of the worst situations. He's never been unconscious. We've never had to use glucagon, but those fears of always having to do it and, you know, is, um, is always there, but yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time no this has been your so time <laughs> your knowledge your stories everything has meant so much so yeah i appreciate you thank no, you this has been so much fun thank yeah, you of course so thank you and thank you to our wonderful listeners as well thank you all so much for listening to the safe haven podcast please make sure that you subscribe you like share all of these episodes with all your friends and comment as you follow along your generous support keeps the sharing and messages coming your way You can find the Safe Haven Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and on Podbean. And you can also follow along the adventures on Instagram at the Safe Haven Podcast for the latest updates. I will talk to you next week.